Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of The Matt Brown Show. This is the Secrets of Scale series where I'm connecting you to founders who are scaling their companies rather rapidly. And one of those individuals who is uh, guilty as charged is the uh, founder and CEO of Connected Reach. Uh, Devin, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me on, Matt. Look forward to hanging out, talking about scaling and all the all the challenges and, and you know successes with that. I know, right? And there's uh, more challenges than successes these days, if you ask me, but... <laughs> 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 I, I agree. Touche. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You, you're the one with all the success, bro. That's why. <laughs> that's why you're here. You know. Um, but uh, we're going to get into all of that. Um, I spoke about um, uh, you you coming onto the show last week when I was chatting to Usman, CEO of XIQ. Um, so great to have you here. You guys are really doing an, a cool thing. You've got an amazing product. So super, super pumped to have you here, man. Um, so, I appreciate it. Uh, you're very welcome, man. So tell, tell our viewers around the world a little bit about yourself. Paint a picture for us. Like how did Connected actually come about? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. what problem are you solving? Just give us the context for what you have to. Yeah, so Connected uh, is a sales enablement platform that has a LinkedIn first approach. Uh, a lot of sales enablement products, they want you to start with email and buy data and throw 10 or 12 different things together to try to get a meeting or, or an outcome. And uh, we found that LinkedIn already has our dream prospects on it. How do we get start on LinkedIn, then get them into email and then get their data, then text them, then call them. And so we're a sales enablement ecosystem focuses around LinkedIn first and LinkedIn education. And it all started really when I was 15, you know, 15 was when I became an entrepreneur and I I started out of adversity. So I grew up in a broken home. Mom and dad never married. Um, My dad was a drug dealer. My mom was a factory worker and, you know, divided household, never married. And uh, when I was 15, my sister got diagnosed with a rare form of brain cancer called Magister blastoma and attacks your adrenaline gland. Um, and it's, it's very, very hard to even survive the surgery, let alone walk and talk and be normal again. And I'll fast forward just a little bit. She, she beat all those odds. She's still with us and, and, and living a, a, as normal life as she can. But when that happened, my dad, uh, again, wasn't, didn't live under the same roof, but came around and admitted he was struggling with a heroin addiction. And then he wasn't around for a year, like boom, poof, disappeared. And my mom, she goes, hey, like it or not, it, in 90 days, you're going to have to live in the Riley home. And that's a basically a homeless shelter inside the hospital where my sister was being treated and ended up spending almost, just over two years of her life in, the, in this uh, hospital. And so I was like, man, that's going to suck. I'm going to lose my, my friends. I'm going to have to move schools, go to inner city schools. And, and so I knew sneakers had value. So any of my sneaker heads listening, um, I got started by flipping shoes, Nikes, Jordans, Yeezys. Um, I'm a big collector nowadays. Uh, I don't really flip shoes at all, all anymore. I do a little bit of trading, but yeah, I just collect, but that's where I got my start. I started selling Nikes, Jordans, Yeezys, um, and you buy low, sell high, right? It's the most classic form of entrepreneurship. And the reason I knew sneakers had value was my father. He always had a few hundred pairs of shoes and was always trying to get the releases. And, you know, if he, if he messed up, he was the, he was the gifter uh, in the family. So like, if he was felt bad about something, he always bought you something. Well, that was always shoes for me. 
And so I had a lot of shoes myself. I started by selling the shoes that my dad had bought me. And then I got into learning how the releases worked and waiting in line and you know, waiting 12 hours for a pair of shoes at finish line before they even open and then getting, you know, bombarded. And it was just crazy, crazy times. Sneaker games completely different nowadays, but that's where I got my start. Um, at 15, I was able to buy a scooter. I saved up. I did like three or four sneaker flips. I was able to buy a scooter. From that scooter, I put just over 5,000 miles in one summer on it, going back and forth between different sides of town, buying shoes, flipping shoes. If you guys know what Craigslist is, this was before Facebook Marketplace. Um, I was flipping sneakers on Craigslist, buying shoes on Craigslist. And, um, you know, that's where I really cut my teeth. But uh, from sneakers, I went to digital marketing right after high school. And while I was doing digital marketing, uh, you know, Matt, if I built your website, you would then ask me, well, now how do I get traffic or how do I get leads or how do I get the conversation with someone that knows me, likes me, and possibly would want to buy from me? And I got tired of being able to, you know, being asked that question, not having a great answer. And so connected, I drew it out on a napkin, uh, found a front end and back end developer, put in the 14 to 16 hour days that everyone knows is necessary for a few years. And here we are today. That's amazing, man. Um, yeah, it's kind of like it's it's the uh, the uh, old adage, like you know, you're either trading baseball cards or you're selling lemonade on the side of the street. Your version is like, well, I was flipping shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was flipping sneakers, you know, and uh, I did. I did. A, I had all kinds of odds and ends. I, I tried bailing hay. Uh, funny story about that. It was like the second day I got this like little bailing hay gig on top, you know, while I was flipping shoes and it paid like 30 bucks an hour. I was like, that's kind of high and I'm 15 years old. So second day I'm there and this llama, I'm petting it and it spits in my face. (laughs) So like, you know, I did all kinds of like uh, odds and ends um, on top of the shoes, but yeah, that's where I cut my teeth. Cool, buddy. So let's talk about um, connected. So you guys are scaling uh, a lot. You're doing a $30 million raise right now. Um, you got, All I ever hear is great things. I think I've put, I think, maybe three or four clients onto your platform just in the last few weeks. Um, and uh, Chad and your mutual friends, Chad Burmeister, good guy. Um, and, you know, work with him. Your team are amazing. I'm a, just full disclosure, I'm also a customer, but for very good reason. <laughs> so let's, let's unpack yeah. that. What, what is, in your experience, is that reason? Uh, Devin, like, mm-hmm. why is it that you guys are scaling so much? Because, you know, what I mean, like, it's it, this is the sequence of scale. Like, it's a hard thing to to scale anything, especially a business. So, why are you guys scaling? What do you attribute that to? Yeah, you know, being a a, a tech focused podcast, I will talk about product first. So, you know, from from a visionary standpoint, from a CEO standpoint, every question or every product meeting I'm in starts with the mantra that I originally had written down, which is save time, simplify opportunity. Matt, you don't have 10 hours a day to do prospecting as you're trying to scale your business. The CEOs listening to this don't have that type of time either. So how can a product save time and simplify the opportunity in a few clicks, a few connections, a few integrations? And and that's the challenge that we continually try to beat up and innovate. And as we're doing this market roll-up strategy, we're currently leading 
it's where does this product save time simplify opportunity in this article in this article and so you know putting the product first is is mission critical as far as is it truly easy uh, and, and then going second is we eat our own dog food um, i i meet a lot of tech founders that i'm like well you know your product's so great what's your own success and that's like, oh yeah, we just we just sell it, or we don't we don't really use our own product. I'm like, what? That makes zero sense. So, um, still to this day, over seventy percent of net new sales uh, is driven by our own product. I mean, we're a lead gen product, so I hope we can create our own leads and be able to convert those customers. So, um, we we eat our own dog food. And then point number three that has really led to our success is um, I look at myself as a CEO. Uh, I'm the bottom of the org chart a lot of ceos uh, of course on the traditional org chart you're at the very very top and it, the buck stops with you and, and and everything is me and my vision and, and blah 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 of course i'm a hard ruler on on where we need to go but i trust my team i empower my team i invest in my team to be able to make decisions successes and failures right i i allow core leadership that connected to truly place, you know, blaze their own path with the vision that, that I set out for them to execute on. And I find that a lot of people that they talk about scaling and they talk about adding team members, but you see them going from like two to 10 employees. It's like they're back and forth, back and forth. And it, it's, it's, they don't have an operating system that they're living by and breathing by. And they're not trusting their team members to innovate, scale, and be able to, to build their business. I find that is a major holdup for a lot of tech businesses and tech founders. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that, right? Because, but it's it's really the crux of it. I want to start with your vision because I've you know I've covered this a few times on the show now, but it keeps coming up because when I talk to a founder and I go, "You're like." <laughs> is this business that you have today the one that you set out to build? It's, in many cases, it's it's not. It's like a version of it. Like I just got off the phone before this interview with uh, Adam Apollo. He's like a, I don't know, he's like a hardcore like scientist guy and he's done this amazing like 4dr blah 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 thing in the crypto space i don't even understand it right but the guy's uh, <laughs> clearly a genius way smarter than me um and he's he was he was saying the same thing he said to me you know when we when we set out we wanted to disrupt the social media engine and now we become a contribution engine that runs on the blockchain. You know what I mean? Like it's a different thing. And I've had so many founders say the same thing, dude. Like they they set out to do X and they wound up doing Y. And it's because you're pivoting and you're trying to figure out, well, where's the right space? And, you know, for us to scale, because oftentimes there might be a gap in the market, but there's no market in the gap. You know what I mean? Uh, so you yeah, actually yeah. have to pivot and change. And this is why you wind up with statements and, and, you know, eventualities like the one I've just described. My question though, Devin is, has that happened to you? And, and how has the, your vision evolved, you know, uh, from connected from day one to where it is today? So I can confidently say the original vision of saving time, simplifying opportunity with, with being your lead flow partner that has stayed true now there's been evolutions of a better product, a more comprehensive product. Because I'm a big believer in you know selling your first five hundred thousand to a million dollars in in ARR before you go out and start raising money. So build a a product that is MVP, barely works. Start selling like don't don't you know 
get yourself in a spot where you're going to have to go sell your soul to get some capital in. And so, of course, product has changed. We're in our third version of product currently. Um, and now we've built the third version of the product, Connected Reach, open-ended to allow uh, the integrations of acquisitions. Um, but to answer the question about has my vision changed or gotten bigger, it's gotten a lot bigger. Um, I realized that sales enablement is a very fragmented industry. And ever since the sales loft outreaches and the big dogs that are carrying the billion-dollar valuations have come out, no one stepped in and said, this is too complicated, too expensive, too hard. How can we streamline that into one single centralized platform? And so it's just been like, oh, yep, you use SalesLoft or you use Outreach, and you got to buy eight other products to get the result, right? And so I'm on a mission to you know, launch and create the category we call growth as a service, to step on the gas, G-A-A-S. It's a trademark. It's a coin term that we've been starting to market in the last uh, six months. And so, you know, we want to continue to help businesses step on the gas. And it's it just, I, I, I thought that you buy a company here, you buy a company there, and you, you get a little bit of funding here, a little bit of funding there. And really, you could just roll them all up. You could start doing these LOIs and doing these rope acquisitions. And these these big capital partners love that. They love to be able to see a CEO build these relationships, get into the nitty gritty and be able to tie together a much bigger picture, be able to create category worthy product. And, um, you know, four years ago when we first started, I simply wanted to build a multi-million dollar annual recurring business and get into technology, you know, so Mm. it's gotten a lot bigger. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, this idea of uh, of of scaling through acquisitions doesn't come up very often. Um, mean, you know, it just isn't. Like guys are looking at product leg growth, all these ideas that they, that they kind of, you know, modus operandi, product leg growth, unit economics, product market fit. You know, you hear these things time and time again. What you don't hear is a company at your stage, which is you're not like Series C. You know what I mean? But you're you're doing yeah. a Series C strategy, meaning you you've reached a point typically at a mature stage company where that is really one of the last few remaining options for you to scale is to acquire like so what Salesforce did they acquired you know Slack and all these other companies because they were at mature stage and they just wanted to add to their um to their profit centers across a number of different acquisitions so you hear that but later so I'm curious. When did you wake up one morning and go, you're like, this is what I want to do to scale this? Like, because you, I mean, because your your platform yeah. in and of itself, because it sits and integrates with LinkedIn and it drives all these sequences and connections and things like that, um, you know, and, and your new version of your product is way better than, than it was um, when, I, you know, when we first registered or I first registered some time ago. Um, so anyway, so your, your product it's just by virtue of what it is, it, it lends itself to economics, right? Scale, scale nomics, as I like to call it, because of where it yeah. is, what it does, and what it sits. It's, it's a network building tool, among other things. Um, but then you you had that, and then you went the acquisition scale through acquisition route. So walk us through what was your thinking around that, because it's it's also uh-huh. a space that a lot of people are are fearful of. Yeah, it's it, um, it didn't. I just didn't thought of that one day. I was like, I'm gonna go grow my acquisition. It was, um, I have an advisory group, co-founders advisors based out of Birmingham, Alabama, 
Um, they've got some notorious exits under their belt. You know, feel free to you know shoot a quick Google search on who they, who they are and what they're about. But um, they started they they tracked our growth, and you know we would meet and talk and meet and talk. And they they sent me a slide deck one day, and they said, "Look, these are all the broken puzzle pieces, and we see your product being that the the foundation for them all to come together." What's your thought on a market roll-up? And, and that was kind of a summary of the email. And I said, wow, I kind of like that. And we did our first little acquisition, and it was just a game-changer valuation and, and, and the way uh, investors in the market thought about us. And I was like, let's go all in. I agree. It's typically a Series C or D type of strategy. Um, but, I mean, guys, the entire market and what is normal is changing. Right, you used to be able to go burn cash for ten years and not be profitable, and that was cool. Now they want to see profitable businesses and lean and mean and efficient. Right, I mean that's the this where their people are turning to, and um, so you know I I think it's a breath of fresh air, especially some of these bigger capital groups that have a lot of dry powder. They have to deploy a lot of capital, and I'm giving them the opportunity that makes sense uh, to be able to you know deploy. Um, 30, 40, 50, 100 million dollars, and, and they need that. Mm, cool. And on that bombshell, we're just going to take a quick break. The Matt Brown Show is presented by Carafin, an investment bank that offers and supports direct private investments in US operating companies. Over the past 20 years, investors have placed over $1.2 billion of private debt and equity in more than 100 companies through Carafin and its affiliates. Carafin leverages technology to empower its community of investors to deploy their capital far more efficiently than ever before and connects their community of engaged investors with worthy companies. Invest portions of your portfolio in direct private investments today. Visit carafin.com forward slash Matt Brown Show for more. And we're back. Uh, Devin, you mentioned product up front, um, and I also touched on this idea of product-led growth. Is that true, this idea of product-led growth? Do you feel like it lives up to its reputation when we are talking about scaling a company? Yeah, you know, if I'm being transparent and I'm a no BS kind of guy, Connected never really did a good job of product-led growth. Um, It became an initiative late Q4 of last year and we're doing tremendously better. Um, it's something that we should have taken more seriously from day one. Um, I think y- you need to prioritize it in your business. I'm living proof. It's not the only way to scale and get the attention and grab the market share. You know, we, we did it through brute force and, you know, having a gene, you know, ingenious product that was simple to use and cost effective. Right. But as far as product like growth, um, I don't have the track record to sit here and give you true insight on yes or no. All I know is it's starting to show its fruits and, and it's showing its potential, but it's something that, uh, you know, we haven't done very well. Mm. Um, so what do you attribute it to? Is it the fact that you have been able to build a great team around this? Is it a great culture? Like, if you were to hang your hat on something that is listening, this is, you know, we did it differently. We didn't do the product led growth uh, idea. This is what it is. What is that thing? Yeah. It's putting our people first. Um, you know, our people are our culture and, 
you know, we, we create an environment where people feel like they, they have unlimited growth path and they're heard, they have a voice, they can really make change and um, allow that collaboration. You know, people first, product second, profit third. It's a little mantra we always talk about here at Connected and um, it's paid off well. Um, you know, as far as the product like growth side of it, um, definitely something we should have paid attention to, but our people, right, our team, uh, got us to where we're at, and uh, you know, this year just just connected standalone um, will be probably fourteen million annual recurring. I think is is where we're we're pacing to be. Just connected, not the acquisitions or anything else. So you, you know, it's it's respectable numbers um, without a huge huge focus on PLG. It's just team and great product. What's your, well, my question is how much scale is enough here? Like, what are you actually trying to do? Are you trying to build this thing to offload it at some point in the future? Or is this something you want to hold on to for 10 years and, and see where it might, you know, might go? What's in your vision, in your mind, where are you yeah. wanting to take this thing in terms of scale? Yeah, so I personally want to get to the 100 million ARR side through the acquisitions and growth and and team side. And then once that, that category, you know, growth as a service or stuffing on the gas has really been planted, you know, I think it's a two to five year kind of um, uh, path that we're, we're walking down here. Um, then sell it into a strategic that can continue to run that category and, you know, continue to demand the respect that is it, it's, it's earned. I was chatting to an account director at Salesforce and she was like, listen, if I wanted to sell a Slack license, I wouldn't even know who to talk to uh, at Salesforce. And they've gone and acquired this. Um, and my previous company also had a group and it became a real headache, total ball ache actually, to be quite frank, uh, when it came to integrating these different teams and processes. And it's nice to go, cool, we're going to just add you know, like, are you planning to integrate this so it becomes one proposition or is this kind of like, here's a portfolio of the group, we're not going to integrate, but they're complementary in nature. And as a consequence, this is how we're going to hit that, that hundred million, you know, AR number. Yeah. Um, the way we've been executing up to this point is we take the best of the best of the acquisition. We bake it into the connector product, but we let the brand, whoever, the brand is whatever their name is we let it stand and let it operate as it usually is a couple of tweaks to the sops a couple of tweaks to you no know, payroll legal and finance but um, we plan to let the entity stand and take the best of the best and roll it into uh, the connected uh, ecosystem you know very similar to the procter and gamble type of approach where they own 10 different types of toothpaste or, or, or soaps but it's all under the PNG brand and the best, the best is, is, is their, their winner. Mm. Fair enough. Um, speaking of scale, I, I love this idea of you can only scale a company to the extent that you do. I'm curious to find out from you, how have you uh, scaled yourself in this process? Like in what area have you grown so that you could, you know, do the things that you're doing, acquiring companies um, and, 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 um, Walk us through, you know, in the context of scale, how have you been able to really scale your, your own self um, mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, there's there's a handful of things that I've really paid attention to. But first and foremost, the mindset, 
right? We all overcomplicate things, think of fear, but more often than not, I'm making sure that I'm speaking positivity and the original vision and taking the action towards where we need to go. Of course, I have the doubts. Of course, I have the, is this the right move, right? Of course, I have those those thought processes, but I, you'll never hear me negatively speak or negatively act towards this this uh, uncomfortable feeling that may enter our mind, but also putting myself first. So a lot of people you would ask and they would say, yeah, my business, then my family, and then it's me. And then you see their, you see their gain a hundred pounds and like really start to experience burnout. Right. And so two years ago, I started going down a, a fitness journey and realizing that I have to come first. My family comes second. My business comes third. Right. And so if I'm mentally, mentally, physically, spiritually not there, it's hard to show up for my family, which is my foundation. And if my foundation is rocky, it's hard to step into the business with confidence and be able to say, hey, we can, we can get through this no matter what. And so the realization and the big change I made was making sure my, my fitness and, and, and spiritual side is in line. My family's being confident and, and, and believing in the bigger vision. And I could bring that into the workplace and be very confident that we're going to continue to execute. It's a really important point that that you're touching on, right? Because I don't think entrepreneur health is really discussed that much. Because like, think about this whole conversation. We spent 25 minutes talking about scale, <laughs> you know, and yeah. product and raising money and acquiring companies and so on and so forth. And then, uh, and by the way, like, I, you know, I do tons of these things every month and um, you're the first one to raise it. You know what I mean? Yeah, awesome. weird, right? Yeah, yeah. And it affects all of us. It's like, especially for men, like we and women, but you know, most of the guys that come on the show are men for some weird reason. Well, I think we can have another discussion about that, um, about right why there aren't enough, um, you know, female back you know venture companies. So, um, but you know, like even today, dude, like I was actually going to cancel this. I was actually mm-hmm. like, I'm actually really flat. Like I'm really flat. Mm-hmm. Like I've been working my fucking ass off re- re- lately. Like really, really pushing, dude. Like hard. Um, yeah. And uh, and you know training, right? So doing physical exercise, uh, but then you know also eating well and that kind of thing. You know, like and but even then, like you reach a point today. Like I was just, I'm just, I'm, like, I'm just not myself. I don't feel like I'm myself. Um, yeah. and, and that's the thing. And I, and I learned this when I first got to the States about seven months ago and it was like, shit, like I was just being like, didn't have a home, you know, coming from South Africa and that kind of thing. And I was just really overextended. Um, it didn't have a customer, like it didn't have really, like, I didn't know what I was doing, had no network. It was just, it was really difficult and uncertain time. And, and, you know, and I was sitting at my desk and I was just like, and I, it was this weird feeling where I just didn't feel like I could do anything you know like no matter what i did it was going to be a fuck up like i was i wouldn't (laughs) be able to do something as well as i could do um and my sister was here and she was she she said to me she said matt i've never seen you like this you need to step away and go for a run you know and it's this idea of like if you want to get out of your head you must get into your body and so i went for a run cleared my head and and but i learned like you actually just need to stop and my problem yeah. is, is that I'm so achievement driven. Like a lot of my self-worth is driven through my sense of achievement. So if I don't feel like I'm achieving something, that messes with me. 
You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and so of course. you really need to come to terms with all this because I think there's this this uh, there's this idea that I also subscribe to in that ambition is like a double edged sword, and that it's great to have all this success, but at what price? Do you know what I mean? And oftentimes I of think course. we we yeah. try and build these big businesses, but we don't think about well, what's it going to be like when I'm at 150 people, at 300 people? Am I going to dig it? Because to your point, you're a dad, I'm a dad, like I like spending time quality time with my with my kids you know what i mean i want to be there when, when they have these extra curricular activities or what have you um and you know if i can't be there like that's a price you pay it's not a it's not a like a financial cost it's a human cost right it's a founder cost and so these are the things that i don't think that we talk about enough or that we are real enough to discuss in a on a podcast like this yeah, you know, I'm I'm the first to admit, you know, you got four and a half years uh, of me running Connected. First two years, I was, you know, business first, family second, me third. And I mean, I gained like 100 pounds almost. Like with the scenario I walked through, that was me, right? And now I've lost that weight. I'm, I'm back down and I'm arguably in the best shape I've ever been. Um, there may have been when I was racing a little bit better shape, but you know, uh, I just, the business list, the to-do list, the, the achievements that you're talking about, they're never going to give you the fulfillment that a foundation of your home and your spiritual and your fitness will give you. Like I've achieved some really cool things at a very young age, Entrepreneur of the Year, Ernest & Young, Inc. 5,000, top 500 companies two years in a row, you know, um, over 100 employees, yada, 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 yada. Every single one of those, I don't even think about now. Like, <laughs> I wanted all these things. I'll tell you, a materialist, you got it. I really wanted a Ferrari, right? I have a Ferrari. I freaking forget I have it most of the time because it's, it's in my commercial garage unit. And it's like, it's unbelievable. Like when you truly go first in your foundation, second, everything else starts to take care of itself. I don't know how to explain it other than you, you, you're, you're free. And I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. You just got to kind of go through the journey. And I, I can't stand it when people on podcasts are like, this is the formula, ABC, ABC, ABC. There is no formula. Matt has to figure out who Matt is and what works for Matt. He has to figure out his morning routine. Do I think you should have a morning routine? Yes. Do I think there's a perfect one? No, I don't. Right. You have to be able to figure out what works for you, what makes you tick. And in the entrepreneur society is, is jumping on someone's morning routine. Let's say Grant Cardone posts his morning routine, 2 million entrepreneurs, then all of a sudden think that's got to be their morning routine. And it's like, dude, no, you got to figure out what works for you, you know? And uh, it, it's sad, but it's, it's some people fear to go down and try to figure out for themselves, but I'm telling you, it'll be the, it'll be the best thing you've ever done. Yeah. It's this idea of like, you want the outcome, like you want the results, but you're not prepared to do the work on yourself to get that outcome. You yeah. Know, it, and, and, and what logic does that make? Sense? Makes no logic. But this is what people. This is this is the thing, right? It's kind of like, well, Gary Vee does it like this. Like you must produce, you know, hundred and three publish three hundred content pieces a day. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to tap up the social graph or whatever. And I remember, like when I was twenty six, 
uh, I, you know, I, I was very, I was young and I had two passions in life, like music and business. And I founded a record label and Napster happened and then the internet happened and, you know, and I was just timing whatever. And, and I built this company and, and eventually sold it. So I was 26 years old and I thought, fuck, I couldn't walk on water, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah. then And then I started to, I wanted to get into another space and I, and I started to learn about like what, what the leaders were doing in the space and that. And I made that mistake that you just described where I took someone else's doctrine or philosophy, whatever you want to call it. And I, and I went copy paste and fully expecting as a consequence of pasting it in my own life, because, Hey, it's a formula, isn't it, Devin? Uh, That, uh, you know, I would get that outcome and when I didn't get that outcome, well, let me tell you what that did. Because I was like, well, it must be me, right? It must be me. Because yeah. clearly the formula's yeah. got, it's nothing to do with the formula. It's got everything to do with me. And I wound up blaming myself for a long time, too long, in fact, around this, this my next business failed. And, and, and I also didn't realize at the time that, you know, in this ambition of trying to scale things, like businesses will die. You know, you, like, yeah. uh, you know, my last company, we had 55 people, doubled revenues every year for three years, COVID happened, and then suddenly everything changed, you know? Um, and so things, you, you know, you think you're there, but you're not, uh, and things change quite quickly. Um, but it was this, 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 um, this idea of like, when a business fails, it's not you that failed. It's just the business you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes we become so married to our businesses. And by the way, this is an important point to talk about in the context of scale because some, like, I think it's like one in two venture, like founders who raise money, like are not in charge after three years. Yeah. You know, like, you know, so, so where does that put you in your headspace? Cause you're so intimately mm-hmm. married to it. And I've seen the same principle play out in other contexts. One of those is when you sell. So I asked you, like, what do you want to do? Well, 100 million ARR, and then you want to offload it to a strategic acquirer. Cool, that's great. Have you thought about what you're going to do afterwards? So Bo mm-hmm. Burlingham wrote this book called Finish Big, and he, he literally spoke to 300 founders who had sold their businesses for billions of dollars, um, and like 9 out of 10 of them were going to clinical depression because they have no sense mm-hmm. of meaning and purpose anymore. So, like, these are the things that, you know, in the context of scale, I find, like, really need to be uh, discussed, right, and shared in an authentic way because oftentimes it's just like, well, it's about the formula, right? Well, this is how you do it. It's like, no, no, it's not the thing. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the truth. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, and um, I actually do think about the exit. Um, I, I have a nonprofit that I'm super, super excited about and uh, it's called Showcase Hope. Uh, it's going to work with inner city schools it'll it'll allow you know entrepreneurs or, or people they think they want to be in business to apply and you know they these kids will most likely come from homes that mom works two jobs just to put food on the table dad's locked up in prison or mom and dad both try to make ends meet you know paycheck to paycheck and there's no they feel like there's no hope um to become a, a successful entrepreneur well guess what that was me Right. Mom was a factory worker. Dad was a drug dealer. Dad died at 21 from a heroin overdose. Sister fought cancer, broken home, broken everything. Right. Um, And I want to be able to showcase that hope and teach them mindset, relationships, build a bare minimum product, sell that bare minimum product, then go raise your capital. Five key principles. Right. So that really, really keeps me going because it it excites me. Um, And I take in one 
student entrepreneur through a program in Indiana a year and kind of practice that. Right? I don't have a ton of time dedicated to it, but it's an eight week program, uh, one time a year, and and that what is what keeps me going to keep that dignity piece. Uh, and I do have another idea for software as well. So of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I, I got a platform that would completely disrupt insurance. Flip it. I mean, flip it on its head upside down. Let's so. go. You and me. I hate insurance companies. <laughs> yeah, same. I think it's, it, like, the, it's, it's yeah, it's the most non-transparent, scammy feeling, dirty feeling business in the world. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think insurance is messed up. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. Uh, we'll take a quick break, guys, and we'll be back. Scale your business with your own AI-powered digital marketing assistant. Sign up today and get $250 of your first month's ad spend back. Check out meetotis.com forward slash rapid returns for more. Raising money for your startup? Well, why don't you close your next funding round fast? Get investor-focused media and FaceTime with relevant investors in days. Visit showworksmedia.com for more. That's showworks with an X, media.com. So, uh, Devin, in the context of scale, what are you struggling with right now? What's keeping you up at night? Um, you know, nothing really, if I'm being honest. This sounds egotistical, whatever, however you want to take it. I don't necessarily lose sleep at night, um, but I struggle within the business is uh, we have young leaders. I'm a very young company. I think the average age is like 30 years old, and I may be bumping that up a few. I'm, I don't know exact median age, but we have young leaders that are self-centered. And so being able to get them to break out, release ego, yes, they carry the title, yes, they make big boy money, but getting them to think more about the the team and, and bringing the team up, um, especially with, you know, Connected did a, a company reorganization and launched a new product in the last 45 days. A lot of change. So I'm needing my leaders the most right now. And there's some, there's some weakness there and it's, it's shown some cracks, you know? So that's definitely, um, the biggest struggle, um, and in the stressor within the business. Yeah. Um, so I want to have a quick bit of fun, uh, with you, Devin, if you could go, if I gave you the keys to the map round show time machine and I could, you could go back to yourself from day one of this thing when you had no product, no customers, just a vision, uh, like you described earlier, and you could give yourself a piece of advice uh, about scaling uh, a startup like Connected, what would that piece of advice be? Um, put more emphasis on product early on. I went I went sales, marketing, finance, then product for two and a half years. And I think we'd be twice or triple the size if we went product, then finance, then marketing. And by product, what do you mean exactly? You're focusing on a better product or mechanics around better that? product? Yeah, yeah, better product, better mechanics around product led growth. You know, we left a lot of money on the table and didn't understand our value. A, you know, till a year and a half, two years into the business. Hmm, it's interesting that here. Um, and why in that order do you think? Is it because sales you can't sell anything if your product doesn't keep customers around? Like. Um, yeah, you know, the reason, you know, I, I would make that change is, 
you know, we focused on non-recurring revenue too much early on and we should have been building the recurring revenue connected. Didn't really break over a million and a half in a recurring till a year and eight months ago. And now, um, you know, we'll finish this year around 14 million ARR, right? So what if we would have done that from day one? Where would we be at? Yeah, it's uh... we were we we had this you know and we we had the scarcity mindset of just get the money through the door, so it ended up being booked as service revenue. Mm. Um, even if you are in a services uh, space, like you know retained income is whether it's product or platform based or whether it's services, like doesn't matter. Like any if you are you know <laughs> just don't do project. Like this is another yeah. thing we do it, but like from day one, think about, you know, recurring uh, income streams because, um, you know, we built a, a sizable business doing a pipeline gen for tech brands. And this was the problem. So Microsoft and Oracle, SAP, these guys, when they, when they plan, they don't plan annually, they plan quarterly. So they'll say, we've got $300,000 for, uh, you know, M365 uh, for this quarter, Q3, uh, you know, from January to March. So you can't go to them and say, no, that's cool, pay, pay us a retainer. They will never mm-hmm. do that because even if they wanted to, even if you have the best operating model and outcome imaginable, they just cannot absorb a retainer in their planning. And so we were forced to stick with project fees. And this is, like, and this is when we started to develop technology platforms and things like this. But you know, I can, I, at the feeling of having that recurring revenue and knowing that on day one, like on the first day of the month, like all your staff salaries are covered. You know what I mean? Like yep. that feeling, it, it's like worlds apart from this like marathon <laughs> of like uncertainty, yeah, yeah. right? It's nuts. Yeah. And, you, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head, just the certainty. It gives you certainty. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Devin, um, let's uh, wrap this up. What's one piece of advice you would give to a founder about scaling a company? You know, prioritize selling the product. The product's never going to be perfect. Prioritize sales, sales, sales. You know, um, I meet a lot of tech guys. I'm in a lot of tech masterminds. And, you know, I, I mentor one student a year that's tech focused. Um, and they want to make sure the product is perfect. The product is perfect. Guys, it'll never be perfect. Start selling. Start figuring out. Um, and I, I really think the CEO should be involved in sales day to day for the first six to 12 months. Uh, I mean, a lot of CEOs, it's like, oh, why? I don't have a sales guy. I'm like, uh, you are the sales guy. Start selling. You know. Um, and then another piece of advice I always throw out there is, you don't have an ego. I know you got an awesome product and you got a great vision and you probably got a little bit of money coming in, but no, no ego, always be a student, you know, approach life with a servant leadership and, uh, you know, doors will open and opportunities will present themselves that you never thought was, you know, imaginable or possible. And so those two biggest pieces of advice for any fellow tech founder listening right now. Yeah. Sean Corson, uh, CFO for Dasty said, he said it really well. He said, there's no silver bullet. There's only lead bullets. So keep shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep firing, baby. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, massive action, baby. There we go. Devin, thanks so much for your time, dude. I know you're a busy man. It's been tough getting you on here. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't cancel. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and feeling re-energized. So thank you. Let's go, baby. 
I'll see you, man. I appreciate it, buddy. Anytime. Cheers, guys. 